Hello, Space Coast, and welcome to the Florida Today Ion Brevard podcast, our inaugural episode. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm Rob Landers, and joining me in the studio today is my co-host, Isadora Rangel, our engagement editor here at Florida Today. Say hi, Isadora. Hello, everyone. And our special guest today is Florida Today education reporter, Caroline Glenn. Caroline, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. Okay, so uh, our inaugural episode, we had kind of talked about a couple different items, and then Tragedy hit South Florida yesterday. Isadora, give us the latest on what we know at the shooting at the high school in Broward County. Sure. This is what we know as of Thursday afternoon, and this is a developing story, so some of the details might change. We know at least 17 people were killed and 14 were injured as of Thursday afternoon. Among the dead was a coach and security guard who died shielding his students. And suspected gunman Nicholas Cruz, who was 19, was a former student at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High, but had been expelled for fighting and did not graduate. He purchased an, an AR-15 legally, and a family he had been living with knew about it. Uh, apparently, it was locked in a box, and he had access to the key. Uh, he was booked on charges of premeditated murder and the killing of 17 students and faculty. Witnesses said he was banned from school campus for being a potential threat. He also had a history of posting disturbing material on Facebook and was getting treatment at a mental health clinic for a while, but he hadn't been back to the clinic for more than a year, according to a story in USA Today. Florida Governor Rick Scott said at a news conference Thursday that he would discuss with the legislature next week increasing funding for mental health services and keeping guns out of the hands of the mentally ill. And this is the latest development here. The leader of a white nationalist group called Republic of Florida said Cruz participated in paramilitary drills in Tallahassee with the group. Um, and that's according to the group. We don't have any further confirmation of that. So we have here Caroline to talk about uh, what Brevard Public Schools has done to keep their students safe. Um, they've been investing some money over the years, right, Caroline? Mm -hmm. Yes, since 2014, they've uh, invested uh, quite a bit of money, um, more than $5 million in installing six-foot fences around school campuses, uh, installing security cameras, uh, making the front doors um, an automatic lock that you can do from the inside. They've made it so many of these schools, uh, there's only one way to access the school and that's through the office front door and then you have to sign in with the secretary there. Um, unfortunately, it sounds like this high school in Broward had a lot of the same security measures so there's no you know, one size fits all, everything is automatically fixed. But um, the school district here in Brevard has also committed quite a bit of money to hire more security guards as well. Um, they are funding $800,000 um, to hire more armed security resource officers and more campus monitors. Um, almost all of the middle and high schools have at least one armed officer. Um, they're either provided through the sheriff's office or through contracts with the city p police departments. Um, and then a smattering of the elementary schools have them. I was just speaking with school board member Tina Deskovich and she said that that is one of her top priorities is to get an armed security officer in every single school. There's 82 schools here in Brevard. Okay, so let, let, me, let me get this straight. From what you just said, the same security provisions that are being implemented in Brevard County are similar to the security precautions that were implemented at this school in Broward County, yet this kid, he goes in, he pulls a fire alarm and opens fire on the student population as they're pouring out of classrooms, killing 17 people and injuring others. 
what are we supposed to do? What are parents supposed to do when they send their kids off to school when the same security precautions are in place in a school that you're now telling me are in my kid's school? What, what more does the school district have to do beyond putting up barricades into the school and checking every car as it pulls onto campus? What, do, what, what more can schools do? I, I just and this, and him being a student at the school, he probably knew how these uh, active shooter drills work. And uh, I think there is uh, great speculation that that's the reason why he pulled the fire alarm, which was to get people outside of the classroom. So well, this is someone who knew, who had probably been through these uh, drills before. What, what I'm not understanding, though, is if if it's the same security precaution, and you've got you've got one entry through the office into the school and he had been banned from campus, how did he get in? That's well, unclear at this point. I, yeah, it's not clear at this point how he got into the school, but think about this. How many times have you, you know, had someone hold a door open for you to get into a building that you would usually need like a key card to get into? You know, we do that at work. There's a little keypad and you have to press it, but your coworker sees you coming up and they hold the door open for you. If it's a coworker that I know, I let them in. If it's not, then I don't let them in. If they look like a kid and they look like they go to your school, you know, I think that maybe sometimes people aren't even thinking about it. Unfortunately... Well, in that case, and I understand that, there are three thousand. There were 3,000 kids in that school. I, I get mm -hmm. that. I mean... And he, and he went to the freshman building and... And there's, you know, he might have been, might not have been recognized. Although, there there are reports that the school was concerned about his behavior and had, and had actually prohibited him to from being on the premises. Right. That's 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 yeah. the part that that's that's concerning for me is if he is a kid that they are aware of. There's a problem with this kid. We've banned him from campus. We've expelled him, and now he's here and able to get not only access to the building but in far enough that he can pull a fire alarm and open fire on freshmen. And I'm sorry, if I'm holding, I, I get the whole reference of holding a door open, but there's a significant difference between the look of a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old, which is the freshman that we're talking about in the freshman building. I just, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really struggling with how this kid got access to the school with so many security precautions already in place. Yeah. And hopefully because they have precautions in place, they'll be able to figure out how exactly did he get in. This does It doesn't sound like he went through the front door and got through the office, you right. know, checked in. You know, did he get in through a door that wasn't locked when it was supposed to be? We don't know that at this point, but I think once they can review their cameras, find out how he got in, hopefully that, you know, can close a gap that's there at that school right now. Um, I think that one of the problems, though, is it really is a multifaceted um, issue. I know that a lot of people have been talking about mental health, that... At this point, this boy, um, well, this 19-year-old, you know, he had kind of come from a broken home. Um, he his mom died. His mom died pneumonia. right around Thanksgiving. He yeah. had been got, got in trouble for fighting. It sounds like maybe he'd been through, you know, a, a breakup. These things, they on paper, they don't sound like they rock your world like that. But when you're dealing with mental health, y you know, a lot of people I think want to say that he was just a lost cause at this point, but. You know, what about when he came into kindergarten, when he came into sixth grade? You know, were there the emotional supports at home, at school, in his community for him to maybe get some help if he was dealing with dark emotions or, or aggression? You know, I think that maybe that's part of the issue of not just school security, that is absolutely needed too, but um, the access to mental health, getting rid of the stigma of I'm dealing with, you know, mental instability, I need help. Um, it's a multifaceted issue and we'll find out more about exactly you know what went wrong in this school because it you're right it sounded like it had some pretty good security it has before public school said anything to parents any major announcements or so far all of they have really said is that um, the school district has 
uh, made grief counselors available. They usually do that in a lot of different situations, whether a, a student dies, uh, you know, a, t a teacher dies, you know, even a car accident maybe near the school that kids saw. Um, so they have made grief counselors available. The school district has actually been rather quiet about the entire issue. Um, they aren't really allowing interviews right now, but just from what we've reported in the past, we do know that um, all of the Brevard public schools have gone through some sort of active shooter training um, by spring break of this year. So in just a few weeks, they'll all have security fencing, they'll all have security cameras, these um, automatic lock doors, um, and they're getting those extra security officers and campus monitors. What kind of world do we live in where our high school kids have to go through active shooter drills? What, what, yeah. what, what has happened to us? I don't want to sound like I'm making too crazy of a prediction, but you know, I think that we're probably not far off from when you go to a school, you get your bag searched, you go through a metal detector. It sounded, it would have been sounded crazy, you know, 20 years ago to do all that in an airport, and now that's an everyday occurrence. I, I, I think yeah. probably in you know five years, most schools will be searching your bag and you'll go through a metal detector. Uh, keep my kids safe. Okay, mm -hmm. keep my kids safe. All right. Uh, so, Caroline, thanks for uh, thanks for the insight on on the school security. You can keep track on this developing story and uh, the news that is happening out of Broward County by clicking on floridatoday.com and following the good work that uh, that our USA Today Florida Network partners are providing from, from the ground there. Uh, okay, so Caroline, since we have you in the studio, let's uh, let's talk about another issue that has come up. You and I actually sat down and talked about this this week. Um, we've got a shortage of substitute teachers in this county and the school district is looking at a contract with Kelly Services to possibly provide substitutes for when the teacher calls out sick. What's mm -hmm. what's going on there? Yes, so um, on any given day, there's between 200 and 400 positions that the school district needs to fill. You know, that's teachers not coming to work for whatever reason, they have sick days, they're people too. Um, and Don't judge. <laughs> um, <laughs> usually they can fill most of the positions, but an analysis that they did of the month of November there are between 30 and sometimes up to 74 positions that went unfilled. Um, especially on Fridays, that's a day that a lot of teachers um, are absent. One day there were 74 positions they couldn't fill. No, I will judge <laughs> on Fridays. Come on, that's a three-day weekend. We're watching. You never call we in know. sick on Friday. I don't call in sick on Fridays <laughs> or on or Mondays because that means you're yeah. hungover. Oh my gosh, don't even believe these people. Um, okay. So, anyways, they need to fill those positions because, well, Rob, you're a parent. You know that when you have a substitute. It's not really the most educational day. They're watching Disney movies. Mm -hmm. and, and if you can't find a substitute, often the um, this class gets split up. Teachers have to take on those extra kids. And so the school district is really trying to figure out what can they do to solve this problem. One option is going to Kelly Services. It's a um, Michigan-based company, basically a, t a temp agency, and they do all the work for you. You know, they have their own program. They uh, recruit subs. They train subs. They assign them to your school. They do all that, the fingerprinting, everything. Right now, the school district has um, their own program. A lot of the schools don't really use it, which is a problem in itself, and they're having trouble filling these spots. Um, now, like with anything, it's not as simple as just putting that solution in. They need to figure out why substitutes don't want to take positions. A lot of these positions that are hard to fill are at low-income schools. They're at schools that are way up north or way down south. We've got a long county here. Um, and the pay as well, right, Caroline? And where does it how, where does it start? It says eight seventy-five an hour for teachers with a high school diploma and as high as uh, 16 something if you are a retired, are a retired teacher. teacher. It's not a lot. It's, I mean, it's, it's not a lot of money. Um, the board was also talking about 
can they do something to help that? Um, can they provide other sort of incentives maybe that make people want to sub? Can they provide free lunch? Can they provide access to the school district's free um, healthcare clinics? So they're kind of, they haven't made a decision yet, but they're kind of looking at a couple different options um, of how they can fill this. Um, and I've already heard from a lot of substitute teachers actually who called me afterwards and they said, yeah, the pay is terrible, the kids are usually out of control, um, but teachers are also saying, you know, uh, yeah, when they can't find a sub, I've got, you know, 30, 35 kids in a classroom and I can't teach. We, you know, we put on a movie, we put our heads down. Right. Yay me. Okay. Yay me for getting double the workload because somebody else called out sick. But, Which, I mean, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that further goes to, to the point of teachers are human. They're not calling out because they know the burden that they're putting on their coworkers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. It'll be interesting to see what happens with this, though, because the contract with Kelly Services is expensive. It's $5.2 million. That's a number that kind of rings true for me with, uh, or, or, or kind of deja vu with the school <laughs> district. ADR. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, board member Andy Ziegler, the only board member left from when they approved EDR, which, by the way, is a computer software the school district bought and never received. Um, and he did say at a previous meeting that this was tasting a little bit like that situation. And so um, the school board kind of said, whoa, whoa, slow down. And they had this workshop. This is where they had the whole conversation. Right, because after you lose $5 million on a software deal you didn't get the software for, you don't want to spend yeah. another $5 million on a contract that you're not sure you actually need the contract for. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, I was just telling Isadora that um, the Tampa Bay Times just did a whole article about Kelly Services and how they provide subs in Hillsborough County, and they were having a few problems. Subs who had been fired from the school district were getting put back in the substitute pool. Substitutes who had been complained about for sleeping in class, for yelling at kids, for hitting kids, were just being assigned to other schools and allowed to keep on subbing. Um, if you want to check out that article, it is quite a read, but uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what they wind up doing, outsourcing or some sort of col uh, combination of solutions. Hmm. All right, uh, Caroline, we've got just a few minutes left. I wanted to uh, I wanted to make sure that we touched on one other thing. Um, so, the negotiations for teacher pay raises has been uh, has been very very tense over the past couple months, but there's now a resolution. Yes. Still listen on that one. Finally, um, after months and months of back and forth, uh, the teachers finally got their raise. Um, it's what I would call a somewhat modest raise. But um, so if you are rated a highly effective teacher on your evaluation, you will get $875, uh, $875 raise. If you're an effective teacher, $600. That's a year, right? Yeah, that's added to your salary. Yeah, okay. um, so your base salary goes up. And then all teachers will get a one-time $200 bonus. No, Rob, and that's, that's what monthly. sold them, right? <laughs> the, I, the, the $200 bonus is what actually sold the teachers. Yes. I, I mean, I'm, 200 bucks, that's not a lot. That just kind of strikes me as weird. After so much back and forth and, and struggling so much, they settled for $200. I mean, did. Per teacher, though. Per teacher, but I mean. Keep in mind that a $200 a bonus per teacher is still a million dollars. Well, for the district, yes, yeah. but for the teachers, uh -huh. that's that's yeah. Know, it, um, not a lot. There was a lot of back and forth. The the teachers union started out asking for a five percent raise, um, which is a lot more than what we're talking about right now. And the school district basically said we can't afford that. We'd have to do layoffs, and they offered like one percent. Teachers union said no way, that's insulting, and we basically wound up at this one point five ish percent situation. Um, I was surprised that 
the um, offer was passed by so many teachers. I think 70% of the teachers who voted said, yes, we want to raise that, that particular raise. I actually thought it was going to be a lot closer. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that uh, there's been a happy resolution, at least with the teachers union and the school district. Only Perfect. six more months until negotiations start for next year, though. Hooray! <laughs> Oh, man. The people who start counting down to Christmas, the day after Christmas, that's what education reporters do for negotiations. Nice. Well, <laughs> good luck with that in, uh, in the 2018-19 school year. All right, Isadora, anything else you want to chime in on here? No, just make sure you listen to us again next week. Uh, we'll be back weekly, hopefully. That's right. Uh, and you can follow Isadora on Twitter at IsadoraRangel2. That's I-S-A-D-O-R-A-R-A-N-G-E-L and the number two. You can follow me on Twitter at at by Rob Landers. That's at B-Y-R-O-B-L-A-N-D-E-R-S. And you can follow Caroline Glenn, our educational reporter here at Florida Today, on Twitter as well at at B-Y-C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E-G-L-E-N-N. That's it for this week. Be sure to tune in again for another episode of the Florida Today Eye on Brevard podcast. 